Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marge Dahlia Pod. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daruk people, traditional custodians of the land where I'm recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Mana Whenua of Te Atara, where I'm recording today. Ooh. I know it's been a rough week, but um, do you have a moment of wonder for us this week? Um, I have a couple little moments, like wonderments, maybe. Maybe not a whole moment, like a quarter of a moment. Um, mm-hmm. I ran 5Ks. was pretty proud of that. Woo! I was out back today hanging out the endless amount of washing. So much washing. And I noticed that my liquid amber started turning yellow, which is like, I love that time of year when everything just starts to get really chilly and cold. And I love it when my tree turns yellow. Mm-hmm. Um and almost everything that I dug out from under my house to like clean up and get rid of, free cycle, gum tree, whatever, um, is gone. So I managed Yay. to like dig it out and get it gone in the space of six days, which is amazing to me. So that's an awesome effort. You should yeah. be very proud. Thank you. I'm very tired. <laughs> hmm. I'm ready for like a nap. <laughs> oh, I bet. How about you? Tell me a moment of wonder. Um, yeah, so a bit of a weird week as well. I just and I was really busy and I haven't been I'm very busy but I'm not particularly productive you know when you have those weeks where you're like oh I just don't feel like I'm getting anything done yeah so that was annoying but I started a Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group here in Wellington so excited for you and we had our first meeting this week on Tuesday and you know like I'm a massive massive introvert so anytime I have to meet new people I'm like oh why and I was like even beforehand I'm like oh I can't even cancel because this is my group so I'm gonna have to go to this thing and there was just this thing where you're walking there and I'm like oh it's gonna be strangers and it's gonna be weird and why did I do this but then there was like an initial awkwardness you know when people arrive and you don't know each other and you don't know what each other looks like or anything like that but then you know we started talking about Harry Potter and it was absolutely amazing it's the great leveler everybody has opinions about Harry Potter but it's just so much joy to be able to talk about something you know you join a group like this you have an innate knowledge of it you know it inside and out Mm. and so you can just talk about it and we could just talk about it in such great detail and go off on these like little tangents about really random things about like do you think Piers Polkins was actually mean and like (laughs) you know it's just like side character and it was just yeah it was just really really lovely and I'm really looking forward to doing more of it and yeah if you're listening to this and you're in Wellington you can find us on Facebook as well Wellington's wizarding wheezes so come join us it'll be great you're amazing you have the mom friend clause like if other people can't do the thing you're like right despite my anxiety I will sail in and do the thing well yeah and that's kind of what got me through it as well where I was like well we're all gonna feel awkward so someone's just gonna have to take charge mm-hmm. and make sure that we we do the thing so I'm I can usually step up in those moments and just okay I'm taking control yeah I think the most awkward part is when you're like in a group where no one's a clear leader and you're sitting there going all right do I need to do this or will someone else do this and you're all looking at each other like who's gonna break first yeah I sometimes I wonder if I break too quickly because I think I think things are too awkward before they're even awkward like I'll be like this is massively awkward and everyone else is like no this is fine I'm like nah we need to act now because we're in danger territory yeah yeah no I'm, I'm with you on that I don't mind being told what to do as long as everybody's expectations are super clear. But if they aren't, yeah. then I have to be the one to set them and tell everybody what to do. Fair enough. I am not flexible. <laughs> I work really hard on being flexible. I really struggle. I just want clear, 
direction is yeah. needed. And also not to feel bad if I have to ask a question. That's a big one. Oh, yeah, no, of course. No such thing as a stupid question. There are a lot of people who don't understand that ADHD means you ask a lot of questions that seem super obvious to everyone else. Aww. I'll show you. Look, see, this is how I, I remember everything with sticky notes where I, like, write down every Cute. little thing that I do so I know exactly what all of our things are. And I have this little, like, library of sticky notes so that I don't have to go back and check every time. But otherwise, I just can't. Like, it doesn't stay in. That's some good problem solving from you. Mm. Like, I have a problem and I'm going to solve it with sticky notes. Yep. I, I love my expensive stationary collections and this is 100% what I use it for. And I do use it. That's, that's, you, if you use it, you're allowed to have it. Well, at least the reading this week was somewhat hopeful, wasn't it? That was lovely. I really enjoyed it. And we finally get to meet the children in the Citadel, which is really nice, mm. too. So we read, we read chapters 7 through 13 through the theme of purpose. Mm -hmm. uh, do you have a story about purpose? I do. It's a bit of a ramble, so forgive me. But when I started thinking about purpose, I was reminded of Avenue Q. Now, mm. back when Avenue Q was like a thing, um, they did a run in Sydney and my friends and I all went. And I can't, I was trying I to remember when. Yeah. Do you remember what year it was? Because I cannot for the life of me remember. I want to say like 2008. Yeah, I thought maybe 2008, 2009. Somewhere around there. Maybe even yeah. 2010. Let me just ask the person I went with who's in the other room. Yeah, because I can't remember when exactly it was, but I think it must have been when I was doing my honours degree, because there's a song in the show called Purpose, and that's why I was thinking of Avenue mm. Q. It reminded me of how much my friends and I really related to it as well, because I was still studying, we were all still studying, and we were all wondering what we were going to do with our respective BAs, right? Like, yeah. what do you do with a BA in English? What is your life going to be? And yeah, none of us knew what our purpose was either, and I think a lot of time gets taken up by thinking, oh, what am I going to do with my life? What is my yeah. purpose? purpose in life it seems to be like it has to be a big thing right to have a purpose a reason for existing that needs to be big and all-encompassing yeah. and, um, and a purpose in this sense like a vocation right yeah and like it needs to be a calling yeah but then I think we do ourselves a disservice thinking like that because a purpose can also just be a sense of determination or a resolve to do a thing and it doesn't have to be a capital B big thing it can just be doing the right thing, being kind, being a good human. Mm. Like I've seen firsthand how far that can take you because I was incredibly fortunate to work for New Zealand's Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern during her first term in office. And she freely admits that she never planned on being Prime Minister. She just wanted to do her best to address the problems and injustices that she saw in the world. And that resolve and determination to do the right thing to make things better eventually led her to where she is today. Now she is one of the most incredible people I've ever met and um, I'll never forget this one night it was 10 p.m we had just finished up at an event and we were at the airport and I was absolutely exhausted and just flopped down on this couch thinking oh finally we can have like time to just chill while we wait for this plane and she just sat down pulled out her files and started working just page after oh page gosh. after page and she just worked through it and I was just in awe of her because that's what she needs to do, right? She has the sense of determination to just keep going. And it used to get me out of bed in the morning. Like I would be tired, it would be 6am and I'd be struggling and I think, well, the Prime Minister's already done two interviews and you can do this thing. You can get out of bed and go to work and you can do it because she's already doing it. So just keep going. And I think it gave me a really valuable sense of perspective too, because now I don't see purpose as some big thing. It's not thinking I'm going to change the world or do something astounding it's just being the best human that I can be yeah. like be kind treat people with respect it seems small but it'll make the world better 
then I found it. And I think that really is what the ultimate purpose of existence is, to just make things a little bit better for someone than it was before they met you. I love that. And I wholeheartedly agree. Sometimes having a purpose is as simple as just getting up and being a human. Like sometimes all it is is just, I'm going to make it through this day. That's okay. That's totally a valid purpose. Hmm. Yeah, trying to be the best version of you that you can be on that day. Which some days is, I'm going to sit on the couch all day. That's okay. Absolutely it is. I guess we should get into the chapter summaries then. All right. Uh, Laszlo is depressed after the theft of all of his research. He sees a strange bird on the horizon, which heralds members of the Tizercane, the famed warriors of the City of Weep, who come to Zosma seeking help. Thion uses what he gleaned from Laszlo's research to ingratiate himself to the Tizercane and gloats about it. Meanwhile, Laszlo can't even get an interview. At the last minute, he makes a desperate bid and the risk pays off. Then we meet the Godspawn, who are a group of half-human, half-god children who have been surviving in the Citadel since the day the Godslayer left them for dead. Minya is their unofficial leader. And the children are Ruby, Sparrow, Feral, and Sarai. All of them have gifts or talents that have enabled their survival. It, it always strikes me that the first time we meet the god spawn, they're called the Mesarthem, um, that the, the two younger girls are squabbling. The two older ones are kind of deciding what to do in like almost a big brother, big sister type of way about it. Like it feels very much like a family and I really love that. Mm, it is very close knit, hey? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Kind of family sitcom vibes. Yeah, in some ways, throwing plums at each other and... Talking about kissing ghosts. <laughs> We've all had that weird dream, right? Everybody saw Casper. I saw a tweet the other day about kissing ghosts and I sent it to someone being like, I've read enough paranormal romance to know that this works out just fine. <laughs> I mean, you could be sarcastic or absolutely sincere and it would work either way. And I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I told you I had a question for you and it is 100% mm. not serious. Is Laszlo a weepaboo? Okay. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, right? I was like, this is weird. It's like he's super obsessed with the city. And like, because we're in that perspective, we get it. But also, I think if I were like anyone else at the library, I'd be like, that guy only talks about one thing. (laughs) It's It's like my friend Emily says to me about Harry Potter. Like, it's not a personality. Like, you can't just make your whole personality Harry Potter. Yes, and I you feel can, like that is, Emily. <laughs> that's Laszlo. He's, like, made his whole personality weep and his mates are like, come on, you're, like, a grown-up. Stop telling us what we- weep house you're in. No yeah. one cares. But, like, it's it's not even, like, weep. It's, like, as if... It's like as if he like read one book from like one fantasy series that was written in 1930 and no one else has heard of it and he just talks about it constantly. That's what it's like. Like his special <laughs> interest is like no one else's. Yeah. Which is why it's like super weird. Well, I guess he wouldn't be a weeaboo because other people are weeaboos. The whole concept of being obsessed with something that no one else has access to can feel really lonely. I'm going to throw this out and say it's very Tolkien-esque because, you know, like Tolkien went and made this whole language and then he decided to write all these books around it and everyone else must have been been like what are you doing I don't know what his situation was like I'm not that familiar with his life but I can just imagine his friends being like what are you doing do what know, are you doing I do know that his friendship with C.S. Lewis was often like them just bagging each other out for being ridiculous fair enough I don't think I've read any Tolkien really I've read all the Tolkien's I'm a big fan look I've got a beautiful copy of The Hobbit that I bought in the Weta workshop that I should probably oh, Weta workshop my favorite place in the world Oh. oh dear. So, purpose. I went back to my girlfriend, the Oxford English Dictionary, and I have a couple of definitions. Oh, please tell. So, that which a person sets out to do or attain, an object in view, a determined intention to attain, the reason for which something is done, made, or exists, the 
end to which an object or action is directed. Aim, the point of an issue in discourse, to take purpose equals to determine, to resolve, uh, resolution, determination, intention. Right. To sum up, it's the point. What is the point of this? Yeah. What is the point of life? What is the point of your mission? Yeah. TLDR is the point. So I went through character by character and I was trying to think, what does each character, hmm. what, what is their purpose? Like, what is driving them? I did that too. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's, it's such a character driven story. Like, I love Lainey Taylor's world building so much. But her characters are really like the place that they shine is that they are so well drawn and so multidimensional. So I started with Errol Fane because we meet Errol Fane finally. Oh, okay. Yeah, we do meet Errol. Um, and I think he really, like, his purpose is ostensibly to seek great minds to solve a problem in the Unseen City. I had that as well. I'm like, he's solving a problem in the Unseen City and he needs people because RIP Unseen City Library. Yeah, so sad. Because I really love libraries and that's the one thing that I would go real protesty to war for. If someone was like, tomorrow we're shutting down all the libraries, I would be like, you and what army? Because you're going to have to come through me first. I love libraries. So I love the attention given to libraries in this they did shut the library in my hometown. I was telling my sister, one of my sisters, I'm like, oh, just go to the library. And she's like, there are no libraries. They closed them all down in the county. And I was oh, like, oh, that depresses me. They what? Like, I couldn't believe it. Our central city library has been closed because of earthquakes and it's been real annoying. But we still got like suburban libraries, which is nice. Yes, yeah, so Errol Fane, he's come to find people with practical knowledge, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's an assumption from Laszlo's part as well because he says, you know, he's come for people, he's come for practical knowledge. He'd come from men like, Nero. Yeah. And I think that is a that is imposing what he knows about people onto Errol Fane because he thinks that Errol's gonna like Errol Fane's gonna prioritize this kind of knowledge and the knowledge that Lazar has is not important. But Errol Fane comes from a different culture, yeah. has different values, but you're just imposing this upon him. And he even notices some of those different values when he's sort of lurking at the back where all the scholars are sitting and, and Errol Fane says something about like seeking great minds of men and women and then he notices there are no women and like pauses mm. and readjusts and Laszlo's like, oh, we saw that there are no girls here. Like Laszlo is catching all of this. I just think that he just has a real sense of fundamental unworthiness. Yeah. And I think that part of the reason he feels so unworthy is because he's been told that he's unworthy, but also he's never had an opportunity to really rise to anything. Well, there are none, right? Like mm. this is your place in life and this is where you will stay forever. That's just the way the society works. And, you know, I thought it was real stark when Thion at the end goes up to him and he's saying, well, you know, real scholars will study weep now, so we won't need your amateur records anymore. <sighs> Instead, what should have happened is like, hey, it turns out that your amateur records are actually top-notch so we'll just elevate you to status of scholar but no that's not what happens and that is just infuriating to me i want to talk about thion because i think that his purpose is really unclear despite the text making it seem really clear <laughs> you know he sort of brushes off the reason that he's going as like oh you know they'll tell stories about me shouldn't there be adventure in it but when i look at thion i think here are things that we know about him. He is needed to make gold. He's needed. He's not wanted. His own father is abusive to him. He really treasures the scientific method and process. So he's a person who's very like steps and procedure oriented. And that does mean that there's some rigidity. Like he really does subscribe to the like, I am in the social order higher than Leslie Strange, right? But I think all of that is actually leading me to come to a conclusion. It's purely speculative, but I think he wants to get out of Zosma. I think he needs a way mm. out and this is the best way to get out. If he can make himself important enough to Errol Fane, to this caravan of Tizer Kane that he knows ahead of time is coming to the city, then he can leave with them. And he doesn't 
doesn't have to then be on the hook for the gold or the weight of his father's expectations. That's interesting. But you would have to assume that they allow him to go because if the queen didn't want him to go with these warriors, she would stop him. Yeah, I think he yeah. was traded for that priceless list crown. Yeah, because I was also thinking about his purpose, you know, because the implication is that he's, it's the story. So it's a legacy, right? He's mm-hmm. going to build a legacy for himself. Um, is his purpose to be the hero of the story because he is, you know, leading man, trademark leading man, yeah. Thion Nero. Um, or is it just to be a massive jerk? Who can tell, really? Because he's, <laughs> he excels at that as well. Like when he goes up to Laszlo before the warriors depart and he's like, haha, I just come to tell you that your books were really useful. Unnecessary. Unnecessary gloating. Yeah, and I think also he, he really hoist himself on his own petard there, right? I don't think Laszlo would yeah. have had the courage later to do what he did to really follow his purpose if he hadn't yeah. been burning with that injustice. That's something I actually wanted to talk to you about in terms of knowledge, our other theme mm. for reading this is the idea that Thion essentially steals Laszlo's knowledge, right? So can knowledge be stolen? I would say yes, it can when it is at this level because he word for word takes Laszlo's story and makes it his own. He's like, oh yeah, I used to play in the orchard pretending about this. I remembered when the name was stolen from my memory. He literally takes Laszlo's story. He says, I prefer to call it it the unseen city. Yeah. All of these things that Laszlo has reasoned through and had this emotional connection to, he just adopts. On page 66, Laszlo goes into this bit and he goes, There was fire in him. It wasn't smothered, only blanked, but it would burn like the wings of the seraphim before this was over. Mm. And I feel like it's Thion stealing his words that unlock this. Like, if he hadn't word for word stolen his story, would Laszlo have reacted this strongly? And I think he wouldn't have. If he'd been humble about it or generous or, like, even given that little thank you... Like a genuine thank you. I think Laszlo, he would have still known his dream was being stolen, but he wouldn't have thought that it was being stolen as a punishment for having given Thion the means to make gold, which is what I feel like it is. It feels like Thion just saw something and he immediately thought, well, this I can take this because I've always just taken what I wanted and therefore this mm-hmm. is an interesting story and I'm going to take it. And I don't think he really gives it much more thought than that. It's just like, of course this is my story. I can take it. Yeah. That is my right in life. Because to Laszlo, this, you know, he hoards these stories like gold, right? Yeah. So for him, this is treasure and Thion just blindsided him and completely robbed him. There's a great Bible verse to him that has shall be given Mm. which basically is the wide lap theory you have a wide lap things keep falling into it and i think that that's something that really comes up when i think about thion like he has and has and has and gets more and more and more and people want to give him more because they see him having some whereas the people Mm -hmm. who have less don't get anything because well if they had it would they squander it i just think if he had just taken the books and then used that knowledge in his own way to like yeah i've learned the language and Mm. whatever then laszlo would have been more accepting of it because that is the status quo that is how things work but he made it too personal and i think it was really interesting towards the end oh yeah page 75 some people were born to inhabit such scenes that was what master hurricane believed and what laszlo had always been taught and i love that distinction between believe and taught Mm. so laszlo has been taught it but he doesn't actually believe it he just knows that that is his place right but he doesn't believe it's his place and it reminded me of his steadfast belief that magic is real yeah even though he had no evidence for it that's my deep dive this time is about concept of faith one of the benefits of stories and literature and fairy 
tales and folklore yes is that we do get this opportunity like you and I anybody who reads we get this opportunity to see more examples of humanity or people and like telling stories and listening to stories is a very human thing and it does broaden our horizons in a way that sometimes just a lived experience can't it does open Mm. us up in that way and so I think when you look at Laszlo's entire life which is finding stories hoarding them like gold knowing that there's a bit of truth in these fairy tales. He has a much more well-rounded education than somebody who is maybe very much part of the social order in Zosma, like Thion Nero, who, who might be a chemistry genius, but hasn't really figured out that the world is so much bigger and more broadened scope than Laszlo. Like, Laszlo knows that because he's read all of these yeah. stories. There's something really superficial about Thion's knowledge, right? Because he hasn't delved into it the way that Laszlo has. He hasn't immersed himself. So when, for example, he speaks to Errol Fane in the language and Errol Fane answers him back, he do- he, can't, he doesn't know. Laszlo mm-hmm. knows, but he doesn't because Thion's knowledge is... He's done the surface level work. I love that. That was definitely one of the things I picked for knowledge was that Thion's knowledge is really superficial and Laszlo's goes really deep. It just reminds me of the Casper Terkyle book about finding the one thing and going really deep on it. You don't have to have a ritual that's like perfect if it's not working you can quit that's okay but like if you find something and go deep on it you're going to get more value out of it and that's what Laszlo's mm. really done whereas Thion is just like a strategist yeah he's like I've read the book I've gotten all the value out of it and now I'm just going to move on he doesn't spend the time yeah. to really delve into what it means it reminds me of like when I was at uni and I would have to do a reading for a class and I would just do it on the train on the way to class I'd be like yeah 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 highlight highlight got it I did not absorb any of that. Like, it just did not go in. Yep. I did kind of question what, like, I wondered why Laszlo felt as if he needed to have a recommendation or a qualification. Do you think that's a response Mm. to his, like, socialization? Do you think that's a response to himself? I think it's just the the social structure that he's in. Like, this is in this environment of the library. And in the library, they very much have the structure of who's allowed to have knowledge and who's not. And that's something that I wanted to talk about, actually, about knowledge is, like... Mm. Who decides what is worth knowing and who deserves to know things? Because to me, it, it, it just reminded me of colonization. Like, it smacks of colonization because mm-hmm. it's this idea... It's the way that people lose history because your history doesn't matter. It's, you know, I'm not going to take your cultural knowledge into consideration because my culture is superior and therefore we don't need your knowledge. And you don't have a place in our society because, you know... And even if we look back into history, like... There were loads of women who had great scientific ideas who were shelved because it was like, well, you're not allowed to have that knowledge or those in power decide what knowledge is worthy and what isn't. Mm. And that is fundamentally flawed because Laszlo is the most qualified person for this mission, right? He is the one who has the Unseen City speciality and therefore he should be the one who gets to see Errol Fane. They should have brought him out first, but because they don't see any value in him. Yeah. I think Errol Fane is also like shocked by this because he asks him, you know, why didn't you come to see me earlier? And he's, he says, I wasn't, wasn't allowed, allowed to. to. Yeah. yeah, and I just think it was really, really sad scene when he tries to go and gives the interview and everyone just mocks him. Yeah. Everyone just stands there mocking him for everything and he just takes it. On page 72 it says... It was the first time he ever felt for himself a measure of the contempt others felt for him. Mm. I was like, but like, that's for one, he has an amazing sense of self-esteem to have known that he is okay with his dreams all of that time and to not hate himself for it. It made me think of Richard from the last book, who's always Mm. hating himself for doing things like stating the obvious or... But that raises an interesting question for me because he was okay with it when it was an unattainable dream. But now that it is suddenly a reality, now he hates himself for it. Yeah. Now he has contempt because it has now suddenly real. Yeah, well, and even he starts that process of reckoning, right? 
right? Because in that time between Thion taking his books and him realizing that he actually has to do something about it because it's not content to stay in the books. Like, Mm. he's left it in the books for too long, basically. And his brain has gone, hey, actually, you are living this dream. You want to be living this dream. You don't want your days to be a gray stream of endlessness. And so he's starting to think, like, maybe I can get a caravan. Maybe I can join and do this. I don't have anything, but maybe I can do something. And even in the end, he's like, I don't know what I could do. I've got to say something that Errol Fane will take me seriously. Uh, uh, I can be your secretary. And then he goes, I can tell Mm. stories. And I really think that that is not the clincher, but the fact that it took him seven years to create a language codex shows his intentions and his dedication to the city of Weep. And I think that he knows new stories. Like Errol Fane really considers him for that. Absolutely. And I think that comes, that's what also reminded me of the colonization element, right? Mm. Because on page 76, it said, and weep of old, the keepers of books had been the keepers of wisdom and not servants as they were in Zosma. And there's this idea that stories have value, but just because they don't see that in the city doesn't mean that Errol Fane doesn't see it. And like the people of weep don't see it. Yeah. And this, yeah, it's just who decides what, what is valuable, who decides what counts as knowledge. One of the things that my husband, when he, because he, he has a hiring, like he hires people for his job, right? He says one of the main things that he hires for is willingness. Like, is this person willing to learn? Like, they don't have to have all of the skills. They don't even have to have a background in that, but they're willing to learn the field. Then he's like, yeah, then they're like 100% more qualified than somebody who's really shirty about it and really super qualified, but just isn't interested. Yeah. That's what Laszlo brings. Like, Thion doesn't care about Weep. And he's getting yeah. out of Zosma for whatever reasons, but it's not about Weep. It's about Thion. And we know that that really annoys Laszlo because on page 64, you know, he talks about, and Thion stood there and spoke the phrase as though it was just lying around mm. knowable, as common as any pebble picked up off the ground rather than the rare and g- precious gem it was. Like, the way he just, like, throws it out there, he's so blasé. You know, Laszlo's like, excuse me, no. Look, anybody who spends seven years, like Laszlo did, decoding a language, turning it into it's a amazing. working cipher, and then figuring out how to pronounce it, like, what? I just think it's, yeah, he's got some mad skills. Mm, and this is he's the thing, linguist. he's so smart. His knowledge is applied, right? There's another bit where he, one of the things that he was noting was... When Errol Fane was talking about, like, there's something in the city, like, there's nothing to fear, I assure you. Here he paused, and Laszlo leaned forward, hardly breathing. Why did he assure them? What did their fear matter? Could he mean dot, dot, dot? And Laszlo's figured out before anybody else that Errol Fane's going to invite people to the Unseen City. like Which is, again, where the disservice comes in from making people stay into their assigned social roles. Like, you don't know what you're missing out on just because mm. someone happens to be in a lower social class. You know, like, Laszlo should 100% be a scholar. He should be yelling at junior library. Librarians. Well, no one should be yelling at the junior librarians. <laughs> I love that scene when he was on the um, the ladders and just like going past bookshelf, window, bookshelf, window, bookshelf. Like, oh, that's the dream. I want a library where I can swing around on ladders. I want the library from Beauty and the Beast. Oh, same. I mean, that is why it's my favorite Disney film, just because of the library. It's so good. There was one other place where I saw purpose, mm-hmm. which is a bit random. It really struck me when they talked about the difference between the, how do we say it? Tizakane? Tizakane. Tizakane. It's weird because like with my South African eye, I would have said Tizakane. Yeah. Like, that is just how I want to say it. So Tizakane. I'm like, mm, okay, cane. 
cool. So Tizer Kane Warriors and the Zosma Guards, right? Mm. Laszlo compares the two. He, yeah. he talks about the Zosma Guards and he says, you know, they might have been minted and not born. Mm. And I thought it was so interesting to consider the fact that the Tizer Kane would have come on this journey because they're driven by this bigger purpose, the same purpose that, you know, motivates Errol Fane. Yeah. And then these Zosma Guards, yeah, they probably just need pay, right? Like <laughs> they just need a job and this is their job. And it's or they idea. were conscripted. Oh yeah, they might have conscription. So yeah, that's just another one that jumped out at me. Should we talk about the god spawn a little bit? I feel like we've... Of course. Because we do yes. love Laszlo and Thion and their eternal crackling tension. So we get to meet Sarai and Co. Yeah, Sarai and Minya and Ruby and Sparrow and Feral and the ghosts um, who are all like their servants are ghosts because Minya's talent, all of these gods want to have a talent. Minya's talent is catching and holding souls, um, which is not unique. Like this is not unique to just this book, Lainey Taylor's trilogy, which is really good. Started with the Daughter of Smoke and Bone was about the catching of souls before they evanesce. And if you haven't read them, you should. They're so good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, my my question to you is do you think that their talents do you think that that counts as their purpose oh i see so yeah. sarai's purpose is to give people nightmares because yeah. that is her talent feral's purpose is to bring the, the rain he waters them sparrow feeds them ruby warms them minya serves yeah. them and sarai is their like only link to the world outside she also protects them right by inspiring this fear in humans so that they don't come up and look for them yeah it's interesting because there's that line on page 90 where it says there was no one to explain it to them or Sarai's gift to her or the girl's gift to them yeah so it's like this idea that no one's there to explain their purpose but I would posit that their problem actually is that they don't have a purpose they don't really have anything to live for beyond just staying alive like that's the only thing that motivates them is staying alive yeah like is not being murdered really enough yeah I think that's just that's depression territory but it really struck me on page 100 there's the line once upon a time there had been gods now there were only children going about in their dead parents undergarments i can't do it anymore said ruby and i just thought yes because why would you do anything if you thought you weren't going to live how can you get out of bed in the morning if you were just like well gonna die there's some hopefulness right like sarai hasn't really let herself think about that question whereas ruby's like well i've already thought it through and decided it's not gonna happen so i might as well just do Mm. what i want like she's gone full nihilism whereas Mm. sarai's like more protected and is trying to keep herself together by like just the lovely gentle denial of muddling through day after day year after year yeah she says it's not a question she's allowed herself to ask right she just gets on with it imagine being a kid and having this talent this is a bit of a spoiler but she like screams out moths and the moths go down to the city and they like touch people's faces and then she can go into their dreams like imagine all of these people who've been traumatized for two centuries by these blue skinned gods and seeing your mother's face who shares a face with you in so many of their nightmares like that has got to be like trauma 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 for her Mm. so I can see why she would just be immediately in this like PTSD protective state where she's just like nope gonna keep doing what I do day in day out rituals good doing the thing it's fine we're alive that's enough like she's really just coping as well as she can well it's kind of the whole argument against kind of when I think about dystopian fiction or things like that or if there was a zombie apocalypse tomorrow would I bother fighting or would (laughs) I just be like well and that's kind of where they're at like they're in that you know dystopian reality where they're just trying to stay alive and at a point you have to ask well do I wanna but I think the thing is their talents actually keep 
them all alive. So if they lost yeah. one, they they know that it would be the deaths of four other people, right? I mean, mm-hmm. if they lost Minya, they would have nobody to look after them um, because Minya is the one who's in charge of the ghosts that actually like are their nursemaids. Um, and Minya, I think, takes her talent very seriously and has turned it into her purpose. Mm. She catches them. She pumps them for information. She uses them to prove the point that, yes, they're still terrified of the gods down and weep. So, like, we would be murdered if they found us, right? Like, she she keeps them safe, but there's this real edge to it. Yeah, but also, spoiler, doesn't she's, uh, she's massing an army of ghosts. Yeah, she's caught so... everybody who's died in the last 15 years, like. Minya's not yeah. messing around. And she's also completely traumatized and stunted, right? Because she's not aged at all. She's just kind of locked herself into this. She's still a six-year-old, yeah. And I think that's because she spends all of her time controlling the ghosts outward. Like, all of her energy, which she should be using for growing. If you're doing something all of the time that requires that much energy and you're not growing, like, there's something seriously going on. That girl needs a hug. And she's very angry. Fair enough. When we get to the point later in the story where she talks about what happened and you understand that she's like been living inside this trauma for 15 years, Mm. her anger at the God Slayer for killing everybody in the Citadel because he did, Mm. like that is very justified. But we don't know that now. Like one of the things I thought was really interesting was Laszlo seeing Errol Fane and marveling that what could he have slain that would be called a God? And and, uh, here's a good man and a great one, but the two aren't often the same. And I wrote, I actually underlined that and wrote, Errol Fane is a complicated man. Mm. He might be great, but I don't know that he's entirely good, and he doesn't know if he's entirely good either. Also, that's just a snap judgment from Leslie. You don't know this man at all. You've just seen him. This has got a bit of hero worship. Yeah, I find it interesting that there's always this reference to gods and seraphim and all these things, because, you know, what is a god? Isn't there the whole thing later where it's like, they're not actually gods, they're just pretend gods, and it's like, who gets to decide that as well, you know? Yeah. Anyway, we'll get to that. I um, I love Sparrow's gift of being able to make things grow. And I love Ruby's too, although I think that Ruby needs a curfew and like maybe to be grounded, just lightly grounded. <laughs> she needs some discipline. She just needs to have a good reason not to do naughty things. She needs a boundary. Yeah, yeah. And like boundaries that actually are enforceable. So like it really bothers me that our first encounter with her is her taking advantage of somebody who we know can't fight back, right? Like she's she's tormenting a corporeal imprisoned soul like that is assault and it's icky and then she tries to kiss feral and he can fight back like he he drenches her with an icy cold storm still assault she also assaults feral like yeah it's it's not Mm. great i find that it's kind of that you're not my real mom situation because they're just siblings right so you can't tell me to go to my room why do you have any power and like sarai's only two years older than ruby and yeah there's there's no real authority figure yeah they just minna is probably the closest because they're scared of her yeah but like that's not a great way to be either like i think it's really telling that even though minya is this like oddball horror story kid um but like the ellens are both really loving but she's Mm. in charge of them so like all of that comes from either she allows it or she creates it right like it's not happening independently of Minya. I wondered if because the Ellens were previously their nursemaids and Mm -hmm. whether they had that kind of intrinsic kind of caring in them already so she doesn't have a stronger she doesn't exert a stronger control over them as she would over the newly captured souls who don't want to be there. Yeah I wonder. But then I think it's answered in the second book but I think that's a like it's a harder question 
And it's more complex than that, right? Because the Ellens arguably also didn't want to be there. Exactly, yeah. I mean, yeah. We, we know later in the story that everyone who gets taken up is taken up and usually returned without knowledge of what happened. Like, you come back with trauma you don't remember. It makes me very sad for them. Because they are innocent. Like, they did nothing. They were just babies. They were just babies. Yeah, and do you punish the children for the sins of the father? Exactly. Um, The white bird that mm. Laszlo sees is the same one that brings the sweet potato things to the kids up in the citadel so that they can survive. So I, I know that I know now that they're linked. So we have that knowledge, which is pretty cool. I couldn't remember what the deal was with the bird. Do we find out in this book or is it the second book? I think it's the second book. Because I've not read the second book. I can't actually remember either, but I know that I feel like the Wraith or whatever she's actually called is um, I feel like she's like something that can travel between the dimensions as well. Mm. Um, do you think that the ghosts are telling the truth when they're afraid? Or do you think that that's something Minya is making them say? No, I think they're afraid. I think everyone in the city is still traumatized and hung up about this. I think so, too. But I wonder if it's partly because of Sarai's nightmares that she gave them or... Yeah, that's what I think. I do think it's because of Sarai's nightmares, which is this whole kind of, you know, which came first, the music or the misery? Like, mm. would they be this afraid of you if you hadn't spent all this time making them afraid of you? You know, it just reminded me of, like, the big friendly giant when they, they need the queen to help them. So they, like, go and create a dream. And then they pipe it into the queen's bedroom and then they sit Sophie up on the windowsill, just like in the dream. So that when the queen's like, she wakes up and she sees the child, she's like, oh my goodness, the dream is real. Like, why didn't they just do that? Why didn't they say, you know, there are these innocent children. Here we are. They're amazing. Like, Sarai has this ability. Why didn't they just have this really subtle, like, brainwashing campaign over the last 4,000 nights to like make the people of Weep understand that like the people in the Citadel were not their enemies. Yeah I wonder if that doesn't come from a deep-seated belief that they are monsters that they are you know the, the same mm. way that Laszlo has this kind of oh I am unworthy situation they feel the same. Yeah I mean where do you go if you feel like you don't have anywhere to go? And I guess they're also just fundamentally afraid right they're just afraid of people who have killed their family. Absolutely. Well, and having Minya there to raise you when Minya was a child herself and is like literally stuck in this trauma. <sighs> well, that's the interesting thing that Sarai and Feral describe, like Sarai describes them as kind of the de facto parents. Hmm. But Minya is older than them. Mm -hmm. Why is she not the de facto parent? Because the Ellens are. The Ellens mm. are their nursemaids. Minya gives herself a lot of free reign, I guess. I, I just think... Like, maybe every time she catches another ghost, she has to, like, grow and expand her power. And that takes more effort. Just reminded me of Claudia in Interview with a Vampire. You know, Kirsten Dunn's mm. character stays this eternal child and how that eventually just drives her insane. Like Baby Doll in Batman. Mm. Nobody takes her seriously because she's still a little kid. But she has all these grown-up feelings and desires and, like, can't act on them. It sucks yeah. to be an adult trapped in the body of a kid. It sucks to be a kid trapped in drama. Oof. Yes. Well, that was nice and heavy. Yeah. Do you want to do an in-depth marginalia? Um, so my in-depth marginalia is from page 57, and it's our dear friend, Laszlo. Is it 57? No. That is not right at all. Oh my gosh. It's on page 72, so I don't know why I wrote 57. And this is the bit that I wanted to deep dive in. Laszlo couldn't find it in himself to argue on his own behalf. He was unqualified. The fact was, if he did get in to see the Godslayer, he didn't even know what he would say. What could he say to recommend himself? I know a lot of stories. It was the first time he ever felt, for himself, a measure of the contempt others felt for him. 
So we have spoken about this a little bit before. So the context for this is that they're doing interviews for Errol Fane to try and see who he was going to take with him on this grand adventure to the Unseen City. And Laszlo has waited and gotten to the front of the queue and they were like very dismissive of him because he's not a scholar and everyone's making fun of him. And he just stands there and takes it and then beliefs them in that moment. It's not fair. Yeah. And I think this relates to our theme of purpose. And that he he knows that going to the Unseen City is his motivating factor. That is the thing that drives him. Mm. But he doesn't believe he's worthy of it. He's never really felt, you know, like it's not his story. He's not the hero. All these things that he tells himself. And it's just this idea that he doesn't see his knowledge as valuable. Like he knows all these things, but he doesn't think that's the kind of knowledge that Errol Fane is going to value. It just reminded me of how people lose stories, how we lose knowledge because we don't let people, we don't value it. Yeah. We decide that it's not important. Yeah, we, we lose so much in those moments. And I think what I just wanted to take from this is just speak up for yourself. Believe in yourself. Like, you are valuable and you have something valuable to say. And mm. no one is going to know that if you don't buy it. Like, yes, you know a lot of stories, Laszlo, and that is enough. You should back yourself and don't feel contempt for yourself just because other people don't see the value in you because you are valuable. It's the willingness to learn, the willingness to be open. To be like, yes, this is something that I can take in and I'm willing to work hard and I'm willing to learn. And Laszlo does go with them later and he does all these jobs that he never would have thought he'd do and he just steps Mm. into his role. And what I just really think we should take away, that I want to take away is like, trust yourself. Trust yourself to be able to learn. Trust what you know and just back yourself because you have to be your own champion at the end of the day. Absolutely. What about you? What's your in-depth marginalia? So on page 58, Laszlo's talking about his fears. So my bit of marginalia is, it's about magic. And Laszlo said, Laszlo had never doubted it, but he'd feared that he'd never see further proof of it. And Mm. it's about, like the way that the city was taken from his mind in a moment and replaced with the word weep. Like he knew that that was magic. He knew that intrinsically. And like, I think we could even argue that maybe he knew that because he is, you know, magic or like maybe it is just because he's really good at having faith. I think about it as like that becomes the moment where he has a passion for something. He has a question that needs Mm -hmm. answering. He has a purpose. Like he doesn't doubt it, but he wants proof. He wants to see it. He wants to experience it again. And it just made me think of all the times like, you know, you read a lot of books where like you love the feeling that they give you and then you reread them and you can't quite get Mm. it again. Or Mm -hmm. it's sometimes you just you don't doubt that you had that feeling at that time, but then you don't get the proof of it back. Or you see an old friend and you're hoping it's amazing, but like you both have changed a Mm -hmm. lot. And it's like, is it going to be as intense and intimate as it was before? You do you do have these situations in your real life. And I think it just made me remember that like the past experiences we had aren't negated by lack of proof. Like Mm. whatever feelings we had, whatever experiences we had, like how we lived them, how we felt them, like they count. Mm. And they're not any less true for us for not being repeated or repeatable. Absolutely. And I think there's even magic and things that can't be repeated being like this was a moment in time and it was beautiful. And yeah, it's it's both kind of bittersweet because it was perfect, but you can't have it back. And that that's valuable. You know, that's a a worthy thing. It's like it's like Lazo says about the language. It's this precious gem that you have to hold close. Exactly. Yeah, just going ahead and like thinking of like what I want out of my life is like maybe not to have purpose per se, but definitely to have faith that the things that I've experienced, like I might not repeat them, but further proof, it's going to look different, right? Yeah, I think that's beautiful. 
It's interesting, like, it just reminded me when you were saying, you know, sometimes you reread a book and you can't quite replicate the magic. Or you watch something and you need to watch it with the person that you first saw it with Mm. because otherwise it's not right. And I sometimes think about that when I recommend a book to someone or someone says they don't like a book that I really loved. And I was like, well, I think maybe you have to have been here when you read it. I I think about this with Catcher in the Rye a lot because I do love Catcher in the Rye, but it's a lot of people don't and I think you need to read it at a very particular age I think if you miss the window it, it doesn't land the same this is the Smiths you cannot listen to oh the Smiths. absolutely you cannot start listening to the Smiths after you're like 24 25 because it just no you have to start when you're like in that emotional hormonal really mentally juicy angsty teen yes. years yeah yeah absolutely agree so if you're between the ages of like 16 and 22 right now go and listen to the smiths because you're not it's not too late if you're my age so's it's done and i think about this like i was listening to as you know big fan of the emo music Mm. and i was listening to this emo playlist on spotify this week and i was just like how did i listen to this Mm -hmm. i was just sitting there being like i don't understand half these songs i know them i know them and i just cannot believe that i spent so much time listening to this music but it was a moment in time. And you it was felt time. it. That's the thing. Oh, did I? Did I what? <laughs> <laughs> and some of those bands still connect with me. Like, you know, I still love My Chemical Romance. I still love Fall Out Boy. Like, all the big ones. But it's some of the little the little ones, the, the lower tier ones, where now I'm just not so sure. That's why they never quite ascended. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't get to the top tier. Yeah, I get you. But, like, honestly, like what you like, that just do it anybody who says oh that's dumb like boy bye they do not need to be in your life if they're not going to be like cool i'm glad you like that not my jam that's okay yeah and imagine we should not all like the same things it'd just be dull like it's great when you meet people that you like the same things but you know you still have to like other things too yes like there should be some overlap but it should not be the entire thing i remember in primary school because the reason I'm really into music is that my parents are really into music. So my very extensive music collection cross genres as well. So I grew up very varied in what I listened to. And one of the artists that my mum quite likes to listen to is the Bee Gees. So I listened to the Bee Gees quite a bit. Awesome. And I quite I like the Bee Gees. I think they're great. And mm. I used to get teased in primary school because I liked the Bee Gees. And now I'm like, I didn't even care then that they thought it was weird. I was just like, mm. You're amazingly self-assured though. I was super embarrassed by like liking things that my parents liked because that was not done. But my first best friend, Katie, uh, she was the only other person who would like our eighth grade teacher was like, oh, you guys probably don't even know who Fleetwood Mac is. And then she looked and said, does anyone know who Fleetwood Mac is? And we both raised our hands and we were the only two. And it was like instant connection. And we were, yeah, we were best friends for like three years after that. So like, and I had never had a best friend before, but that was the whole reason was because we both liked Fleetwood Mac. Or at least knew who they That were. annoys me now as well because Fleetwood Mac is so cool and kids are like, oh, I love Fleetwood Mac. I'm like, I've always loved Fleetwood Mac. Rumors is my <laughs> mother's favorite album. Like, I have heard that album so many. I think she's bought it like eight different times. Should we do a character spotlight? Yes. Okay, you go first because I have two. So I'll, I'll wait until you've gone before I choose which one. Well, I wanted to spotlight Laszlo this week because I think he's been through quite a lot. You know, he had his book stolen and that was for him, you know, like having his heart cut out. And then he had his dream stolen from him by Thion, who literally takes the words out of his mouth. And I think as women, 
especially we've been in situations where you have a really good idea and then no one listens to you and then three minutes later someone else has that idea and suddenly it's the best idea in the world ever and I feel like that's kind of where Laszlo is at you know Mm. he has had this taken from him and someone else has presented it and that person is getting all the credit which is not what he's upset by but it's something that I'm upset by. We should value people for the the input that they provide and Laszlo deserves to have his knowledge recognized and to be able to live his dream because he is the most qualified person to do this and he needs to be recognized. And so I just wanted to spotlight Laszlo and give a little shout out to everyone who has been in that situation of which I'm sure many, many people have. Absolutely. It's so frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. Big love to everyone. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So this week I wanted to spotlight Sparrow because it is so hard when you have a friend or whatever and you start to get feelings for them and like they don't notice like I I really feel for Sparrow in this because it's really hard to be 16 and to have someone like a prettier smarter more effervescent friend Mm. who's just gonna take that thing from you that you hold so dear and not even know that they're doing it so I mean I just want the best for her she's just gentle and lovely and deserves the world that is so tough it sucks to be a teenager it sucks to be a teenager scared for your life living with a bunch of people your age and having no hope for the future even more so yeah that's terrifying yikes but yeah hang in there guys your teens will end and things will get better they really really do (laughs) yeah could not pay me to be a teenager yeah it's too hard when i was a kid my main goal was like i will grow up i will be an adult that is all i want from life and now i am and it's great (laughs) i love it except the bit where we have responsibilities i don't like that bit no i even like that bit because you know what like it's on me if it doesn't work out like i know exactly who to be mad at And I can usually pull myself together enough to do these things. But like if a teacher or a parent lets you down, like there's nothing you could do. It's the worst. So much better to just be able to like be in charge of your own stuff. That's true. Well, next week we're going to be reading chapters 14 through 20 through the theme of neglect. Oh, neglect. Which I think will be really interesting considering all of the neglect that both Laszlo and the Godspun have faced. So interesting Mm. to see how we go. Yeah, that'll be a juicy one. Well, thank you so much for an amazing chat. I know. It was a really good chat today. I feel like we'd been just waiting all week. I definitely have. Yeah. (laughs) It's a pod day yet. I love our chats and I love our pods so much. It's the best. I agree. And I can't wait till next week. I know. It's going to be so great. All right. I'll talk to you then. See ya. Thanks for joining us today. Marginalia Pod is written, edited, and produced by us, Gen D and Gen V, with additional editing and production support by Simon B. If you enjoyed it, we'd love it if you'd subscribe, rate, and review it on iTunes. Your support means the world to us. We'd also love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com. Our music is by Scott Buckley. Many of the things we've mentioned are in the show notes, or you can find out more about us and the podcast at www.marginaliapod.com.